Wah, wah, wah. Oh, this is a terrible <laughs> idea, but that's what we're going with. Hi, my name is Charlie. Welcome to Trump Cuts, a podcast about movies. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Park. There are two types of podcasters. Those who record them, and those who listen. Will cannot be here this week. He is busy riding through the desert on a horse with no name. Uh... So, this week, uh, we watched, and I think Will actually watched it too, so he can tweet his thoughts or something if he wants to. Uh, we watched The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, a movie about how the real gold is the friends we made along the way. Uh, so, this was a park pick. I will throw it over to Park for the recap. Yeah, the, the classic park pick of a movie that's two hours and 58 minutes long. Uh, classic. But yeah, so uh, a bounty hunting scam joins two men in an uneasy alliance against a third and a race to find a fortune in gold buried in a remote cemetery. Yeah, this was my pick, and I I absolutely love this movie. I mean, every movie I've picked so far, I absolutely love. I think I always say that on my pick. I'm not the kind of person who has a favorite movie, but I would definitely put this one in my top however many movies in no particular order. Um, but yeah, this is a, it's probably also one of the best known spaghetti Westerns out there. And I think this was your first time seeing it, wasn't it, Charlie? I think so. Yeah. So I, when we were talking about what we were going to do this week, I mentioned that I know I watched some of the spaghetti Westerns from this era with my dad and my granddaddy a long time ago, like when I was a kid, middle school, maybe, uh, and I think I watched Fistful of Dollars from this trilogy, but I know they're like loosely related, right? And we'll talk about that later. Yeah. And I, I know I saw a few other Clint Eastwood ones, but I couldn't tell you which ones. But I watching this one, I don't think I had seen it. I might have seen bits and pieces. The, uh, I don't know. There's, you know, I mean, so much of it is like super classic Western trope now. Uh <laughs> Like, I mean, yeah, you, you for feel God's like, sake, like the whole all theme, them. right? Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, like that, that when people make like, you know, Western movie music noise, they're doing the theme from the good, the bad, the ugly, right? And everybody's heard that. Uh, that. Yeah, there's a lot in this movie where I'm like, have I seen parts of this movie? I don't actually know. But And it's also it been was, spoofed and parodied a lot, whether in like a serious format of somebody just using it as inspiration or even you know, in the non-serious way of Family Guy, Simpsons, everybody making something from this. Um, well, I mean, since this was your first watch of it, what what did you think? I, I know it's it's a bit of a long haul of a movie, but it's not exactly a slow burner for a long haul. Yeah, it's an extremely long movie. Uh, <laughs> it's really good, though. I mean, yeah, I this is one of those, I, almost every three-hour movie, there's points in it where I'm like, this movie could have been shorter, but... I, I don't know what you would, like, cut from the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because <laughs> uh, it's all it's all good, and it's all kind of leading to the same point. It's interesting that I think some aspects of it feel kind of episodic, if that makes sense. It feels like there's very distinct kind of breakpoints between subplots that are all leading towards the same endpoint. Which is interesting. I don't know. I feel that I feel like if you pitched this script to somebody today, they would be like, "We're gonna take this to HBO and make a ten episode prestige TV series out of it." 
you touch i don't know people don't really do it this way anymore no i mean and that's not like a you know not a people oh they don't make them like they used to i'm not saying that in a bad way it's just (laughs) it's interesting how the medium has evolved yeah this is considered one of the epic uh spaghetti westerns and not just like epic in the sense of like of it being just this incredibly cool movie it's it's considered an epic film so these grand large-scale films um like lawrence of arabia or east of eden where they do in almost in a way like feel epics episodic leading up to this like grand adventure or each little episode kind of ties into the grand adventure in some way. Yeah. Not to be like a giant douche about it, but it it, it does fit the mold of like the, you know, ancient Greek Homeric type epics, right? Like it is, it's the same concept. Yeah. That's how like the Odyssey and stuff was done. Um, exactly. Destroying my former brief moment of douchiness by saying the Odyssey and stuff, but... <laughs> The other ones, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, it's very much in that mold, which is interesting. Because, yeah, I, again, I, I can't think of a movie I've seen that's come out in the last 10 years that's like that. Actually, okay, no, I can think of one. And this is, this is, oh, no. you're going to love this. Oh, God. Uh, Avengers Endgame. <laughs> Yeah, I still haven't Which seen it. Which is not as good of a movie as uh, as a good and bad movie. I, I still haven't even seen it. Like, I know what happens. I mean, it's like, I know what happens in the Avengers movies. The good guys always win at the end of the day through some means, even if it's, yeah. you know, just like breaking reality. But, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, you know, it's it's a Marvel movie. It, yeah. it, it is what it is. It's an experience. It was fun to see in a theater with a bunch of people that were more excited for it than I was. <laughs> that made it a more enjoyable experience and if i watched it like by myself on my couch i probably would not have gotten through it but all that to say that's the only like particularly recent movie i could think of that does something like that and even that it's a little more direct and how the plot moves it's just that the middle portion of the movie is extremely long yeah Uh, especially if you kind of look at it where you combine like the first one and the second one because I, I know i've seen the That's first true, one yeah. and i know that they do like almost continue straight into each other like with a slight break in the middle yeah they p- pick up in like the same point and then there's a time skip yeah uh but yeah i mean like plot wise nothing of relevance happens in between so uh, but that's you know that's enough about Marvel no, movies. <laughs> I mean, All this to say, I yeah, I don't, I I can't think of a recent example of something that's particularly like this. Yeah, which is interesting because like there was a bit of a Western revival film movement in like the the end of the two thousands. I guess was kind of the peak of that with uh, There Will Be Blood, which we watched and which has similar elements, but it's more like meandering i want to say and it's not as like you know like the western like the classic western film it's focused over like the wild west as a whole there's a lot of changing locations a lot of traveling and there will be blood was focused primarily on one location yeah and then the other one that people kind of throw into that even though i wouldn't really call it a western even though i know it has elements but it's no country for old men yeah uh 
it gets it gets discussed as like a part of that. I I don't know. I don't really think it is, but that is obviously not at all in the the epic uh kind of strain of things. It's very very direct point to point action. You know what actually going sorry, going back to your point about like an epic kind of movie and I know that this is just like what probably I don't know. I, this is kind of the cop-out answer. Let me say that. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the yeah, Rings. Yeah, because, yeah, Lord of the Rings is literally written to be, <laughs> to exactly be an like epic. That. And, like, I would consider that much more of an epic than I would Avengers, but... Yeah. that Yeah, that's that's the last, like, extremely major release I can really think of. Especially because, like, it, in with comparing it to epics like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, it was so much on-location filming as well, which I think really yeah. adds to a lot to it versus modern filming on location in Mordor. Um, well, <laughs> I know, I know what you mean in New Zealand, but <laughs> it gives it a much different feeling when you're looking at a movie that's been filmed on location versus something that's been done in a, uh, in a uh, studio. Yeah. Right here that, in Atlanta. I, I know what you mean. Yes, right here in the ATL, where we have lots of studios where they shot lots of Avengers movies. Um, yeah, even Lord of the Rings, though, like, <laughs> it's pretty direct in the flow. I don't know why direct is the word I'm going to, because, like, all of the episodes in Good, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, they there's do not, flow together very directly. There's not as much, like, side questing, I guess. It's like, yeah, you could describe it like in the good, the bad, the ugly. You have like the going to the mission, ending up in the prison camp, having to blow up the bridge to progress, like all these little side things they have to do to get to the end goal. Yeah, right. Like there's lots of the movie is very much broken up into steps and the steps aren't directly related to the end goal, but they accomplish something that's needed to do it like blowing up the bridge is what they need to do to be able to cross which is counterintuitive but um so is two armies throwing themselves at each other to take a pointless bridge yeah in the middle of nowhere the whole commentary on the civil war in this movie is interesting and that that comes up in like a lot in this genre whenever they do have appearances of civil war yeah, stuff because like a lot of it, you know, takes place directly during that era or kind of on either side of it by a couple decades. Yeah, and in, in this, we're kind of I don't. They never really give you an exact year, but we're kind of right where the wars, like the the war, turned much more in favor of the North. And yeah. So like the South was still able to fight, but was being routed almost everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, like it's. <laughs> They there are multiple characters that make it apparent that like the expectation is that the South will be beaten within the next you know few months to a year. Yep. Right. And they want those Yankees to come and spin their gold instead of their paper yeah. money. <laughs> oh god, yeah. The Confederate gold myth is another very interesting thing I want to get into, which made me think of a very weird movie. We'll, we'll have to talk about that <laughs> in a bit. But the way that like they they treat so the scene with the bridge in particular or the the series of scenes with the bridge there's a lot of stuff where it's like it's making this commentary that feels much more post 
like World War Two and Vietnam era because this was shot in '66, right? So yeah. this is kind of in the middle of Vietnam or semi early Vietnam. I when when did Vietnam start? Was it '64, '65? Oh. I'm gonna have to look it up now. Uh, the Vietnam War but, took place between the years 1955 and 1975. The fall of Saigon. Yeah, the uh, or the sorry, the conflict in Laos, Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia started in 1955. When did the when did the U.S. go in though? Because that wasn't until. Uh, Kennedy's yeah, Gulf of Tonkin was in 1964. Yeah, and led Johnson to seek congressional approval. Yeah, so 64. So this is a couple years into Vietnam. Yep. But anti-war sentiment with Vietnam was built up very quickly, and a lot of that was built around this like you know senseless loss of life narrative, which is of course very accurate. Yeah. With basically all wars, but especially Vietnam. But seeing that applied to the Civil War is kind of weird because it is this scenario where it's like one of these sides is very is objectively clearly wrong. and objectively wrong yes. and the bad guys. So it's like, oh, look at all these boys dying for nothing. But like also like this is the one war you could pick where it's like are not the one, obviously World War Two too, but uh yeah, it's it's a weird theme to apply to that scenario. It fits with what we were taught in high school of uh, most art tells us more about when it was made than the period it's set in. Yeah. And I feel like that's very much what the commentary is there. Oh, absolutely. Like, especially more, in, more Vietnam than Civil War. Like, very specifically, the bridge scene where you have the, the Union captain... Even saying like the only like the only thing that we have in common with the people on the other side of this river is we both we all stink of alcohol, and we're just going to keep running at this bridge every day until you know either we both die or somebody finally takes it. And I think even Clint Eastwood looks at it and says like, "What a senseless loss of human life." Which again, like that, <laughs> that that feels like a slightly strange theme to apply to specifically the civil war even if it is a theme that like is correct and we would like to apply to all wars right but also there was a senseless loss of human life going on in the south through slavery yes uh anyways separate to the war so i don't know it's just it's a it is an interesting take and i think that there was actually like a little bit of and i i will move on from this topic in a second but like even with like uh sergio uh, Leon, Leon, it's, it's Italian, so it wouldn't be Leon. I don't know how you'd pronounce his last name. I would rather not butcher it, but he even talked about in an interview how like you always hear about the wrongdoings of the loser, but you never hear about the wrongdoings of the victor, which is also why he mm. does kind of show things like the Confederate fort that's just been ravaged and the captain, you know, basically saying like, look what those, like, look what they did to us. They like took all of our supplies. They took all of our food and they just left us here to die. And like showing them beating the prisoners in the union camp, which he even had, you know, journals and photos that were taken at the time to back this stuff up because it absolutely happened on both sides, but he is right. For sure. You don't see it in media. You always see the atrocities that the Southern soldiers did never the ones the Northern soldiers did. 
Yeah. It just, again, it feels weird to take a movie set in 1966 oh, yeah. <laughs> and do both sides as a fucking but, civil yeah. war. <laughs> that, sorry, a movie made in 1966. 1966. So, you know, just after Martin Luther King was assassinated a year later, uh, it's still lots of civil rights movement stuff going on. We're doing both sides galaxy brain shit with the civil war (laughs) interesting strategy that's all i'm saying yeah uh it's like yeah i don't think that like the intention was to have some sort of take about like racial justice in the context of the civil war but it's hard not to look at it and feel a little bit like ooh, especially with everything that (laughs) is still going on today in the u.s yeah like uh yeah like obviously the ramifications are still there but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> more into the the meat of the movie though. So the the Civil War backdrop is very important here, partially because of again the Confederate gold myth, which I feel like is in a lot of movies for some reason. I mean, it's the same. And thing I don't as, like, really know why the Nazi. Do you know gold. where that comes from? Yeah, right. Like Nazi gold too. What? I, what is the origin? I don't know what the origins is. Like the origin of it is outside of the fact that like you know when people realize they're losing the war or losing something. They're going to take whatever they can and hide it. So it doesn't get taken by whoever is like going to defeat them. So it's just kind of a like hiding away all of this gold that they can hopefully go back to later after the war when they realize they were losing. So, okay, here's the movie that this made me think of. Have you seen a movie from, I think the mid two thousands, starring Matthew McConaughey, called Sahara. Yes, I have seen Sahara. <laughs> That's what the Confederate gold made me think of. Was that movie about Matthew McConaughey pursuing a lost Confederate ironclad that yeah, apparently not... crossed the Atlantic Ocean and sailed up, up a in river in desert. Nigeria and yeah, wound it up buried in a dune in the desert. Uh, that movie i had I, put that movie out of my head like i i had completely forgotten about <laughs> it until i saw this and that when they you meet the character of bill carson which is not his real name he's talking about his confederate gold i was like what why is this making me think about matthew mcconaughey <laughs> that movie surfaced i think i saw it like a multiple times for some reason i think when i was 10 i thought that movie was really i mean because cool. it there's it, no way it was good though it has a lot of like or not even like a lot it has some cool action scenes and there's like you know the whole giant army in the desert and stuff like that but god i'd there was something involving a boat it. chase yeah i think so yeah, I, I had put that movie out of my head, and I think for a good reason. I'm pretty sure it's terrible. There's no way it's good. It's just not possible. Yeah, it's uh, uh yeah. This is what Confederate Gold leads to, kids. Movies with Matthew McConaughey, pretty true detective. Yeah. We don't we don't want that. Other than Clueless. I'm sure that's, I don't know why I'm pinning this on Matthew McConaughey. It's not Matthew McConaughey's fault, but movie is about Confederate ironclad sailing to Africa. There's no way that's going to go well. <laughs> oh, God. Once you write that, you've taken the myth too far. You need to stop. Time to go back. How about we get into so, the characters? Yeah. So let's in, do that. In The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, 
you have three character, three main characters, but only one of which you get to know his real name. But I don't like it's probably not even his real name because he even talks about at one point like it's dangerous to use your real name in these times. But you have mm-hmm. Tuco, uh, played by Eli Wallach, Angel Eyes, uh, which is Lee Van Cleef, and then Blondie or uh, the Man with No Name is kind of what he's referred to throughout the trilogy, which is Clint Eastwood. Um, which, young Clint Eastwood, man, that's a... Uh, like me some young Clint Eastwood. Unrealistic hair standards for the Wild West, man. Oh yeah, that hair that is shit gorgeous. That gelled into place. <laughs> Beautiful, though. <laughs> Stop making racist movies, Clint Eastwood. And then his son, Scott, looks just like him in these movies. <laughs> that is true, yeah. His kid looks exactly like him. It's very... It's uncanny. But, uh, so you have... So, with Tuco, who is the... Kind of like the bounty... Um, he's the one who always is at the end of the rope, goes and racks up as high of a bounty as he can. And then Blondie, Clint Eastwood's character, will bring him into the station, collect the money. And then when he's getting ready to be hung, Blondie will actually shoot the rope, which is kind of where that trope comes from. I think there's several missions in Red Dead. I think Red Dead Redemption 1 and in Red Dead Redemption 2, where you have to shoot people off of the hangman's noose. Oh, yeah. Um, There's a Mythbusters episode about it, too. It doesn't work. No. <laughs> Which is a shame, because it's very cool. <laughs> uh, and then they split the money at the end of the day. And then Angel Eyes is kind of on his own storyline that ends up crossing with theirs. Uh, so at the start of the movie, you have two completely different stories happening you have the story of tuco and blondie and then you have the story of angel eyes and so with angel eyes's story he is kind of collecting information for do do we ever get a baker that's his name for a baker who's Mm -hmm. like an ex-confederate soldier who's trying to find out you know some stuff about the gold and about you know where the people who know the gold and what names are they using but Angel Eyes, though, has a certain thing about him. Whenever he's paid to do a job, he finishes it, no matter what. Which comes into play, actually, really only at the start of the film. It never really comes into play again. I swear there's, like, one more reference to it, like, more than halfway through the movie. I'm trying to think. Because, like, so he goes and gets some information from, like, a Hispanic man living with his family out in the desert and then kills him because he was paid to do it. And then the guy who paid him to kill him, the Hispanic man paid Angel Eyes to kill him before he killed the Hispanic man. And so then he kills him anyway after receiving the money from him for killing the Hispanic man. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> lots of lots of shooting. Which is why Angel Eyes is the bad. Um. He also kills the guy's kid because the kid comes like running in with a rifle and he just shoots him. Quick draw, just blasts him. Like as like screwed up as all of that is, and like Angel Eyes is a terrible character. It's he's so cool in the way he just like puts his pistol away, then like kind of can hear the kid coming down the stairs and just casually pulls it back out, shoots him with barely even looking, and puts it back. Very cool. <laughs> Western shootouts always. Well, no. Not always sick. They can be very dumb 
when done right, they're cool. And in this movie, they're very cool. Oh, yeah. And then Tuco is the ugly, and Blondie is the good, which the definition of good here is, uh... uh, Loose. Yeah, loose. Very loose. He's definitely the best of the three, but, like, he's not much better than Tuco. Tuco just kind of is, like, a little unfortunate and gets the short end of the stick all the time. Yeah. He's very directly supporting Tuco's criminality. I mean, yeah, they're they're literally a team. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's it's a strange thing to call him the good cuz I there's moments where there's like some good hard good-heartedness being displayed, but at the same time, he's like also a pretty cold motherfucker. Yeah. And like I yeah, like we don't really know much about him either. Get much, he he gets by far the least development. That's not true, actually. Angel Eyes does not get a lot of background story either. Uh Tuco is the one who really we get the most like background character yeah, development for. We actually get to like meet his old crew. Yeah, and like his brother at the uh at the mission. This is an interesting movie to be doing a week after Drive, because we we talked about this a little bit at the end of the last episode, right? Uh, with like, it's a, it's a similar, like quiet, uh, cool man of action type protagonist in this movie. But this is, I, this is a more classical representation of it, I suppose, in a way that's less like, I don't know, doing, doing this in 2011, it's like, you'd look back at it now and you're like, that's kind of funny that they did that. But like 1966, you know. It's 50 years ago, so it's like, yeah, that's just what they did then, whatever. Yeah. And there actually is, like, I've seen several things comparing Blondie to Driver, and, I, like, I get it, they're both, like, the silent, cool protagonists, but Blondie is, like, Blondie's actually cool. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he's I, not a I good person, that. but he's actually cool. Yeah. You know... I look being able to drive good, cool. Scorpion jackets, not cool. <laughs> that part, not so good. Wearing ponchos and awesome dusters and having a quick draw hand like nobody else. Very. Cool. Oh my god, we we've got to do um, blazing saddles at some point. We do. That would be fun. Oh, that's a great movie. <laughs> the whole western genre. It's so interesting to me, and this is such a, like, encapsulation of it, like we've kind of said, right? Although, uh, it's it's weird. Like, it's a very focused telling of the, the kind of, like, character stories that you get in that genre without a lot of stuff that is common in broad strokes to the rest of it. And I don't, I don't think either of us are, like, Western experts by any means right now um but there's kind of like you know you get the the there's like the classic cowboy stuff the john wayne type stuff and there's some spaghetti westerns and like clint eastwood movies that are more in that vein too i don't know i'm just i'm thinking about like western cliches and western tropes and how strangely the the ones that are in this movie despite how like tropey the western genre is seen as these days it's really just like the most essential ones 
Because there's no, like, train robberies and there's no, like, wise old Native American man that helps you in the desert. And there's, I you know, there's no saloon. I, I guess there's a very brief saloon scene, but yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's strange. It's, like, boiled down to the 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 harder tropes, I would say. It's a very, like, I, this this is on the mature end of the genre, at least from my experience. Yeah, it's not like the action in this movie is not like just the constant cool action, like robbing a train or, you know, going into saloons and getting into fights in saloons and things like that, or dueling somebody at high noon. Um, like everything in this movie kind of has a purpose in the storyline beyond just being like, it's cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is very much. I mean, it's it's a storytelling focused movie within this genre that's like <laughs> it's a man it's such a weird genre because it's this like mythologized fantasy world representation of the like anarcho-capitalist yeah <laughs> old west that like didn't it like did it ever really exist in this form like probably not but uh there was certainly lawless days and then there were the days when the lawless lands became overrun with a war spilling over from states into territories that really had very little in common with them politically it's all i don't know it's all very interesting it is a like a very unique time in american history that like we i feel like you don't learn much about like the true fact side of it you mainly learn about like this romanticized version of the west because yeah, that's what because there's not that much factual no. to teach right? it, it like was it's just, just a bunch of people that were in isolated like, pockets they were farming yeah. <laughs> yeah there were some people that we may have referred to as cowboys who you know drove cattle and then there were cattle wrestlers that stole them and sometimes they shot each other with revolvers and that's that's about it right uh it's yeah it's strange because like there is no place in the world that exists now that is like this uh so it's like i when you do a lot of american history or other recent historical type movies or stories you can sort of ground it in things that are similar to what we have today, right? You'd set it in, like, a city. I Okay, I don't know why the first historical piece that's coming to mind is Peaky Blinders for some reason. Have you watched <laughs> that show? I love Peaky Blinders. I, that show And uh, what's his name? So Who's cool. the uh, the main character in it? Um, Cillian yeah, Murphy. Yeah, I love Cillian Murphy. Great. He's great. And He's great. Tom Hardy's character is great. Uh I don't know why that was the show that jumped to mind, but what I'm thinking of is like, you know, it's a show about a criminal underworld in a city. It's easy to imagine something like that still existing today, just in a different form, right? Yeah. Uh, whereas like, you can't, you can't imagine something like the American Old West as it's portrayed and filled because like, that's just, impossible <laughs> it's totally absurd now like nothing nothing like that could or will exist in this country ever again no, because or in uh, the world because i mean almost every little piece of you know land out there that's available is controlled by some form of government like 
the West was yeah. open territories that were just kind of like small pockets ruling themselves. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like their, and their just, reach was only so far. So you had these spaces in between that were just kind of a whatever happens. Yeah. And it, it makes it feel like a more distant history than it is. And it's the reason that so much of the way it's represented is so mythological because it's just you, you can't really ground it in reality anymore. It's like talking about, I don't know, like ancient Egypt or Greece or something. That it, it's even that, right? Yeah. Like, what do you talk about mostly? You talk about like the city states of Greece, or I don't know. I'm rambling <laughs> a little bit, but like, you, you understand yeah. what I'm saying. Like, the the part of the reason this is so mythologized is because it just it straight up does not exist in any recognizable form anymore. And I think it makes the genre so interesting. It's just like, and it, it is a genre that, like, unfortunately has in a way fallen from glory today. Cause like even the like kind of modern Westerns or modern takes on Westerns um, like the Mandalorian, I I would consider the Mandalorian a modern Western. There's still, yeah, it's very directly inspired by Lone Ranger as they've said there. There's still not this, like it, this is so special in the way it portrays everything. Mm -hmm. And there, there's nothing like it even in film today. I would say. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It's... <sighs> this is... Okay, I'm going to take us back to the Marvel for a second here. <laughs> I feel like, okay, we weren't there, but do you think, based on just the volume of movies, you can go back to the 60s and 70s and find... Do you, do you think maybe there was a point where cowboy westerns started become to become the Marvel the movies? Superhero I, movies I of almost the 60s brought that 70s. up, actually. When you were talking about Marvel earlier, I almost brought up that, like, you know, because you went from the John Wayne era of Westerns almost straight into the Clint Eastwood era of Westerns. And Mm -hmm. I do think that it became just like, you know, every week, oh, there's another Western out from some other director. Right? Like, it feels like at some point they must have hit the point that, like, some of us have already hit with the superhero stuff and, like, you know the inevitable fiery crash and burn is coming except maybe not because disney is all powerful so who knows (laughs) but like at some point maybe they're just like okay no nobody cares anymore because we made too many of these and and like this also there were so many movies because this kind of you know predated a time of there being these big budget tv shows as well didn't it? Yeah. yeah like this sure. was like this the, was long what, before like the you know like a show like The Mandalorian could ever be made, where you could dump millions and millions of dollars into one episode. Mm-hmm. And so you know you had these movies coming out constantly, and I, you know what? Actually, this is this just came into my head. You know what? You know what changed it? Because it's actually brought what? up in Toy Story. We landed on the moon. That is what changed it. Oh, yeah. We, we landed on the moon and we went to sci-fi. We went to Star Wars. We went to Alien. That is what changed the genre. I mean, and you see, like I said, Disney, all powerful. And like they Toy do. Story even highlights that with the, you know, Woody being the cool toy to have. And then all of a sudden everything's Buzz Lightyear. That makes sense. I buy that. There you go. Man, we're really pontificating a lot about 
the concept of the Western <laughs> film, but I feel I don't know. I think it's fitting because, like we said, like the the good, the bad, and the ugly is. I don't know. It's like one of the most recognizable Western film names. Exactly. Right? If you were going to tell somebody, just like name name a Western, even if they've this never is one seen of the it. first ones that comes to mind. Yeah. Even if they have never seen yeah. it, they will know. Like they can probably name it. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's just I don't know. It's it's so like broadly representative of the genre. Let's okay. Let's try to get into it a little more though. Before <laughs> seeing as we're forty minutes we're in, and we've been just like minutes talking about. I guess there's like a what we're like five minutes behind yeah. where our timer is because we had a little gap there. Um, but still, yeah. So okay, let's talk about what is cool about this movie because I again I think it's very cool. And to me, so the the gunfights in this movie, like we said, they're they're pretty spread out and sparse and small scale and very few shots fired aside from the big civil war battle that happens over the river. That's kind of the exception, but the, the classic just like pistol duels that happen, I guess they're not duels, but the pistol shootouts that happen are just very cool. Oh yeah. <laughs> the one where, uh, where, uh, Bloody and Duco are just walking up the street in the bombed out town that's getting hit with mortars from the Union. It's so sick, dude. <laughs> it's it, I, there's something so cool about a revolver. Like I, I don't know what it is. I'm not a big gun nut, but I would love to own like a Colt Dragoon. Which is what I think Tuco, like the gun that he kind of puts together, I think the base of that gun is a Colt Dragoon. Um, which is kind of like the epitome of like the high end revolvers at the time, I would say. Uh, and I just, I, I love a revolver duel. They're very cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, yeah, you get the classic like fanning the hammer stuff a couple times. Mm-hmm. It, oh. And like you man. get that, I, you get that throughout the, the Blondie trilogy or the Man with No Name trilogy. Uh, actually, one of my favorite scenes in this trilogy comes from. It's either a fistful of dollars or a few dollars more. Um, give me one second. It is from a fistful of dollars, and it's when Clint Eastwood rides into town. And these men make fun of him for riding a donkey and they shoot at the donkey's feet and send it running off. So he hops off his donkey and he turns around. And as he's walking back to approach these men, he just walks past the, the undertaker and just says, I need the, I need you to get three coffins ready. Goes, confronts them, fans the hammer, kills four of them. Then as he's walking away, he just says, my mistake, four. And then just leaves. Like the sheriff comes out and is like, I'm going to hang you for killing these men. And he's like, no, you're not. They insulted me. And he just walks off. <laughs> like. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And I, this. Uh, it's strange that this movie doesn't really do anything like that with the, the kind of. The interaction between the wanderer and the town mm-hmm. is very limited. Because that's kind of core to a lot of the Western genre, right? Is is that interaction that you just described. Yeah. That only really happens in the first 20, 30 minutes of this movie when uh, Blondie and Tuco are still kind of running, running their, their con, uh, their little grift, yeah. right? Yeah. 
and the interaction is they are going to hang him and then he shoots him down and they run away and that that's really it uh most of their interaction with polite society so to speak is the mission and then later on with the uh both sides of the civil war yeah which that okay polite society bad way to describe (laughs) armies but you know what i mean people that do not ride horses through the desert to uh i don't know shoot people no that's what the army does too never mind (laughs) (laughs) organized society we'll go with that you know i do i also love like it's just being like the interactions you do get it's like you have the trope of like the shooting the hats off with the interaction so like after he shoots tuco down from the rope to distract all the townspeople he like fires six more rounds doesn't kill anybody just shoots everybody's hats off to leave them stunned (laughs) and i love it like, yeah, it's kind of funny, yeah. honestly. Like, I, I think it's supposed there, to be. There are little bits of comedy kind of throughout this film. Like, just before that, when, you know, they have Tuco at the rope, and he's like, I never hurt anybody, and they start reading off the list of crimes. And he's kind of just, like, smiling and nodding, like, wanted for murder, robbery of citizens, state banks, post offices, sacred o- theft of sacred objects, arson, arson in a state prison. Like, it just <laughs> keeps going. I like both of the idiot jokes that they kind of make, mm. too. With the uh, One of them, uh, well, okay, one of these jokes might be a little racist, because it's Tuco trying to read something, and it's like, he can't read the last word, and Blondie is just like, idiot, it's the last word. I'm like, oh. But, like, it's, it's also... <laughs> but it was a little funny. It, no, it is funny, and I, I don't think that necessarily it's trying to be racist here. I think it's more of a just, like, it's the Wild West, and, like... Most people are just in Yeah, and like especially somebody who is literally a robber, like a, a bandit, yeah. is most likely going to be illiterate. That the the gag later on though, where they are they're riding through the desert and they see one of the armies coming towards I, them and they're wearing I love it. <laughs> Confederate Yeah, they're they're so they've just been disguised as Confederates at a Confederate camp and they still have the Confederate uniforms on. And they see an army coming towards them. He's like, are they wearing blue or gray? And Tuco looks out. He's like, oh, they're they're wearing gray. And then he yells something about gray like, for Dixie down with down with General yeah. Grant. Hurrah for General. What's his name? <laughs> Lee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they uh, the army gets closer and brushes off their coats and they're just covered with sand and dust. And it's actually the Union. I, they get arrested. <laughs> I love that so much, especially because, like you see them like slowly begin to realize what's going on and the captain of the union troop doesn't say anything is just like beating his gloves on his sleeve and you see the blue come through yeah it's like it's kind of silly but it's silly without feeling entirely out of place i I think it's effective but that is honestly one of my favorite scenes in the movie the whole union prison camp is very strange because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like so it's i it doesn't really make sense if you stop and think about it too hard but you just kind of gotta like let it go and be be part of the like oh it's the wild west and there's like no real organization thing right because this is where they run into angel eyes yep. who has somehow grifted his way into the union army and is a, a sergeant, a lieutenant, 
I think he's yeah, achieved he's, some sort of yeah. rank. I think he's a sergeant. And, yeah, like he somehow just like made himself an important part of the army with enough power to command a few people and run like a brutal interrogation ring underneath the commanding officer. Yep. It's like the, the commanding officer like knows this is going on but doesn't have the evidence to court martial him. Uh it's 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 like if you stop and think about that for too long, you're like, this doesn't make any sense. How did he do this? But it works. It moves the plot along because this is how he ends up beating the bejesus out of Tuco to get the information of where the gold is, yeah. which we kind of skipped, but they, they find the Bill Carson character that Angel Eyes was looking for dead on a cart in the desert. Um, and he tells them, you know, if you if you save me, I have $200,000 in gold buried at this location. He tells Tuco the location, but he tells uh, Blondie the specific grave and the name that's on yep. it. Uh, so they that's why they have to work together. Yeah, separating the lock and the key. But yes. it, for those of you who have not seen any of the Man With No Name trilogy, uh, Angel Eyes knows Blondie and Tuco from previous run-ins. So when it's like when they call Roll and they call Bill Carson and Tuco says present, well, doesn't say present, gets his ass whooped because he doesn't say anything. Um, Angel Eyes realizes what's going on. Our, so is I know the, the Angel Eyes character and the man with no name character are in the previous movies. Is Tuco I, in them or he's just like he's introduced in this one, but they know. Of yeah, him. I don't think Tuco is in the previous ones. I'm trying to remember, but I think he is only in the good, the bad and the ugly. I've seen the good, the bad, and gotcha. the ugly more than I've seen any of the others, but I'm pretty sure he's only in the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, but like he does recognize Angel Eyes because he leans over to Blondie when they see him, and it's like, is that Angel Eyes? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I'm trying to. I, I think he. I think he is introduced in the good, the bad, and the ugly. Gotcha. I'm looking at Eli Wallach's IMDb page and it didn't immediately that the other movies were not on his like featured page. Yeah. And I feel like they were. I just I, I actually was on it or like right now too and I just scrolled down and there is nothing behind the good, the bad, and the ugly, like in the time period where the others came out. He's in the Magnificent Magnificent Seven, which you should watch if you like Westerns. It's a good one. Um, it's got some, it's got some issues, but it's a good one. Yeah. A lot of the genre does. Yes. Uh, cause you know, it was made in the fifties through the seventies about an even more racist time than that. So surprise, surprise. Sometimes they're very racist or violent towards women and native Americans, especially. I will say that, like, this is actually one thing, this is a little off topic that I did want to bring up at some point. I think it's very cool about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, is he, Sergio actually wanted everybody who's in the movie to speak their native language. And then they just went back later and dubbed over it 
for each release region. Um, which is why you see scenes where certain characters don't look like like it it looks like you're watching a dubbed anime or something like the the voice does not line up because it was recorded post and yeah. put back over it um but he there did were a have few like times a very, where that was a little jarring, yeah well, especially but. when tuko meets his uh his old companions and the guy's like laughing and his mouth is just completely still and it's just yeah, like that was, that was the worst one. <laughs> oh man but um, he did want to have an international cast because it is a very international film. I mean, it was filmed in Spain by an Italian director, primarily for the American audience. So, yeah, it is. It is funny. We uh, we've talked about like how representative of the American mythology these movies and this one in particular are. But they are the, <laughs> this era in particular was extremely international in the production. Which is, I don't know, it's interesting. It's something I would love to like read more about one day and learn, learn a little more about how all of this was made, because it is really mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, but sorry, back to what we were talking about. That's just like a fun little, fun little tidbit about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. Yeah, it it works pretty well for the most part. Like especially for the era. There's, just, there's a few where it's like, it's, yeah. It is impressive how they, well they did it. Don't they have to like dub a lot of lines anyways even in english because i i don't know about this movie in particular but when you're shooting outside on location yeah. in these big outdoor areas right like isn't sound just a disaster most of the yeah, time sound is a disaster especially because that especially in the 60s yeah you're not working a lot like you don't have these nice high-end wireless microphones like we have today you're not in a sound booth that's going to capture a lot of the sound or a sound studio or sound stage that's the word um so yes, they they did have to go back and re-record most of the lines anyway, because like if there's wind blowing, all the microphones they're using are gonna pick up that wind. Uh, yeah, that would just be all you hear. Oh god, <laughs> <laughs> I would. Yeah, I'd be curious to know like how much exactly they had to redub. I mean, it might just be everything that was shot outdoors. Yeah. I have no idea. I don't know enough about. A sound production that would not surprise me at all. Because uh, what's what is it? We watched it for school, uh, and we read it. And it's a great book, uh, Lord of the Flies. That entire movie was redubbed in studio because I actually didn't read or watch. You that. You've never read Lord of the Flies? Sorry, this is completely off topic from this podcast. I am going to bring you a copy of Lord of the Flies because you need to read that book. It's really good. I mean, I, I know and it happens. will take you like an afternoon to do it. Yeah, the kids they they some messed up stuff happens and then they kill the fat one that they call Piggy. Yeah, but there. Uh, I cannot believe you've <laughs> never read Lord of the Flies. You were in AP English for I, Christ's sake. Yeah, my, I don't know. Somehow, dude, I I was weird, but for some reason, all the like advanced in ap classes i we didn't read that one interesting yeah i did think it was weird that like that's i feel like it's regarded as like a difficult classic for high schoolers who not like a difficult read but like a difficult subject and then like the regular classes read it but the advanced ones didn't it was it was weird you should read that book though god high school is fucked up dude. <laughs> just got kids and like we should have just been in the like, wild yeah, west so, like guys. these are the people that are better at this <laughs> Oh, man. I should have just been in the Wild West. Should have been. 
Except for not really. No, that would be terrible. Like when Westworld got when Westworld got super popular and people were like, I could have survived in the West. I'm like, no, no, oh, you couldn't man. have. The the real Western revival we could have had with Westworld. My God, I know. I I, know. I don't know. I like. Uh, I maybe I need to watch the rest of the third season at some point. But they should have just only. Man, I wish shows could just make one season and be okay with that. We get miniseries sometimes, but it doesn't happen enough, and it's always because it's based on a book, so like they can't do more. They should have yeah. just made the first season so good. Okay, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Getting distracted. So, let's talk about the end a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah because also, of, like, just very classic cool. Western shit. Oh, the duel. Or the, 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 the... What do you even call it when there's three people involved? It's a tool, dude. It's a tool. No, it's not. <laughs> that's, that's not what it is. The three-way quick draw scenario in the graveyard. In the middle of the giant graveyard that has a big stone circle in the middle for some reason. Is that a real thing? I don't know. If it looks cool, I though. I don't know, but it's awesome. Also, before we get into this, the one scene of this movie, like, cinematography in this movie, fantastic. Especially for 1966. Some of the best cinematography I've seen from a film of that era. Um, gorgeous long shots, fantastic giant wide angle shots. They're beautiful. But my God, the shots of Tuco running around the cemetery <laughs> for like six minutes straight, that's something they could have made shorter in this that's film true. because okay. I was getting nauseous. Yeah. There, There's our point where we could cut some time, cut that down to like 30 seconds. <laughs> Like, I get that it's trying to show the scale of the cemetery and build tension of, like, is he going to find the grave or did Blondie give him a fake name? But my God. <laughs> yeah. But it is. So Sorry. He, they but before this, when they're setting the dynamite on the bridge, uh, what what do you, what do you call oh, those yeah. things, Mr. Engineer? You're not a civil what, engineer. The, the thing, the no, the I'm not civil, but like the bridge. trusses, the, the trusses and such of the bridge. Yes, the the bridge stuff. They blow the bridge up, and uh, Tuco. <laughs> this is an interesting scene again, especially for like the good and the ugly dynamic. Uh, Tuco tells Blondie the name of the cemetery that they're looking for, so he'll be able to find it on a map, um, and then. Clint Eastwood is supposed to tell him the name that's on the grave and he tells him a name, but he gets there and he digs the grave up and it turns out it's the wrong name and it's empty, which is, it's strange. It's presented in this way where it's like, it, it, you know, wants you to question like, Oh, is Tuco about to lie? Because he holds on the word for so long before he says sad Hill, the name of cemetery at sidebar. Sad Hill is a funny name for cemetery. <laughs> um, and then it just goes straight into Clinius with, with, you know, with, with very little hesitation, giving him the name that ends up being the wrong name. And it's supposed, it is supposed to feel like it does feel like this kind of cool, like, Oh, like he tricked him. Cause like he knew that he was going to try to backstab him. So he set it up. So only he could win. But it also doesn't make him, like, more of the good guy, right? Because he's still, like, being a sneaky fucker. <laughs> yeah, but, like, also at the same time, he didn't give him the wrong name. It's true, he gave him the adjacent name. 
Exactly. Incomplete um, information. But, like, we do kind of get this scene. Like, throughout the film, like, you get little things that are just, like, showing that Clint Eastwood is, like, the better person of the trio. Like, when he, you know, he comforts the captain and, like, hands him the bottle of whiskey and is like, keep your ears open. So the captain gets to, like, see the bridge and hear it blow up before he dies. And then we see him, like, comforting the Confederate soldier who's dying. And it's during the time when he's, like, taking care of this dying Confederate soldier that Tuco runs off to try to get to the grave first. Uh, oh, and then he shoots well, we him We also with a get cannon. Clint Eastwood being a badass, and he just, like, takes a cigar and shoots the cannon at him. Yeah. And reloads it very fast. <laughs> Some extremely rapid fire on that cannon. It's impressive. Um, but uh, so we finally make our way to the graveyard and Tuco digs up the wrong grave uh, or he digs up the grave that Angel, that uh, that Blondie told him but it ends up being just a body in the grave and Angel Eyes shows up and in order to settle it Clint Eastwood takes a rock and writes the name on the bottom of the rock and sets it in the middle of, as Charlie just described this like giant stone circle at the center of the graveyard. And this is where we get what is probably one of the most iconic scenes in any Western, I would say mm-hmm. of this three way standoff where everybody backs up into like a triangle and just hovers their hand above their gun. And it's great, and the music builds tension, and it's so fucking cool. <laughs> it's got its thing. The music in this movie is great. We haven't really harped on that as much as we probably should have, but, like, again, it is the classic Western theme. All the music is really good. The, uh... <laughs> The only problem with the music is that there's a fucking GMC. I think it's GMC. It might be Ford. Some one of the car companies has a commercial that uses one of the songs. The whole movie, I was like, where have I heard this before? And I was like, oh, it's in a commercial I kept hearing during football games. Uh, and it's also in, yeah, it's in the Dos Equis commercial, too. Oh, is maybe that's what I'm thinking of. I don't know. There's one of the songs, the song when Tuco gets to the graveyard is the... Uh, Song from the Dos Equis commercial. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. I don't know. I, I thought it was a car commercial. It seems like something that would be a car commercial song. Oh, well. Either way, it's in a commercial, and that sucks. <laughs> but it's still very good. Um, But yeah, the just the... You could easily mess up the tension here by holding too long on this sequence and on like the wide shot or on any of the close-ups and it's really well shot in my opinion i i don't think it messes it up i think it times everything very well and it feels tense and stressful and you don't know like you know you expect that clint eastwood's gonna win but like he's too go gonna get shot too you don't really know what's gonna happen it's i it's cool man it's sick i love it Mm -hmm. it's the uh What's the song? It's something about the gold. I was trying to look it up. Sorry. It's the uh, the ecstasy of gold. 
Is that what that? Or no, it's not Dos Equis, It's Modelo. Modelo. It is a Modelo commercial. You're right. Okay. It's not Dos Equis, Modelo. Uh, now I can cut see that. It. It's Modelo. Uh, yeah, I can. I can. I can see the Modelo commercial. The da 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 da. Yeah. Yep. Ugh. It's Modelo. Lame. Still, it's a cool song though. <laughs> it works cool really song. well in the movie. Um, but yeah, and then, you know the the shootout happens, and Clinius Wood, of course, outdraws Angel Eyes. Meanwhile, Tuco discovers that his gun was unloaded in the night. Uh, and then you get the classic line that Park used in his intro of, "There are two types of people in this world: those with the loaded gun and those who dig." Which is just some dark shit, but <laughs> yeah, it's, but like it sounds really the, cool. Just adding to like Blondie's coolness is like after he sh- he sh- a he shoots Angel Eyes straight into the grave. Yeah, and then he's like as he's walking towards Tuco, just kind of like walking and shoots his hat into the grave, and then shoots his gun into the grave. Like, while moving from, you know, 50 feet away with an eight, like, late 1800s revolver. That's some difficult shit. <laughs> he also fires, what, like, four shots total or something? Four or five, so you know he's still got one one in there for two. Yeah. One in the chamber. Oh, yeah. man. God, yeah, and, like, so much of that stuff, like we said, it's uh, it, it, <laughs> it should feel tropey, but, like, this movie is the trope, so... It doesn't. It doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel hacky or bad. It's just cool. Um, and then we do finally get to the like to what they've been looking for. Clint, like Tuco, grabs the rock and sees that there's nothing written underneath it, because the whole time the grave is listed as unknown. That is next to the grave that Tuco was told to dig originally. Mm-hmm. Arch Stanton. What's the name? Arch Stanton. And uh, this like and he digs it up and sure enough there is two hundred thousand dollars in gold coins, which I looked up kind of like using eighteen sixty five dollars. If you had two hundred thousand dollars of just like paper money at that time, would have been three point two million dollars today. I honestly uh, thought it was gonna be more than that. But you also have to think these are gold coins. These are solid gold pieces. It's true, they will age better. Uh, so that's probably worth a significant amount more. Also, with just like the historical like merit of them, if you actually kept you know and passed down those coins through your family's generations for some reason, instead of spending them and living you know like a king at the time. Uh, but still. A lot of damn money, especially for the 1860s. Actually, people don't know this, but Elon Musk's family money, it comes from Confederate gold. <laughs> uh, no, just kidding. It's apartheid emeralds. <laughs> Same He's thing. dumping it all into Dogecoin. <laughs> dumping all of the Confederate gold into Dogecoin and GameStop. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, oh, God. But then, like, after all of this, like... You know, so I, I guess one thing we never touched on. So Clint Eastwood, Blondie, kicks Tuco basically out of the group and leaves him in the desert to die at the start of the film. Mm-hmm. We never touched on this. We just got off topic on like everything else that's gone on in this fucking awesome movie. Um, and so then 
Tuco does get his revenge later and basically drags Blondie through the desert. Um, and that's when they run into Bill Carson. So now it's Blondie's turn to get revenge back for Tuco's revenge on Blondie being a shitty person. So it doesn't really add up or equal out at the end of the day, but it's fine. Uh, and he makes Tuco stand on top of the grave, these like crappy little wooden graves out in the desert and put a noose around his neck. And he leaves him a hundred thousand gold pieces and Blondie takes a hundred thousand and he rides off into the distance leaving Tuco there, standing on the grave with his head in the noose and his hands bound. And that's the movie. Wait, he shoots him down, doesn't he? I, I know. God damn it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Did I ruin Were you doing a bit that I fucking... <laughs> I was doing a bit, but it's fine. Sorry. Uh, but oh yeah, he, uh, he rides off. And as Tuco is like, he's, you know, yelling angrily at him. And then like, it almost, it becomes more and more of panic and he keeps looking at the gold and looking out. And then from like half a mile away without a scope on the rifle, he shoots the rope and drops Tuco to the ground with his gold. And our final cut is Tuco yelling at Blondie and calling him a son of a bitch. Mm -hmm. Oh man. Uh, it's just, it's such a cool movie. Very I love cool. this movie. I think the the final shot, not camera shot, gunshot, is very directly supposed to leave you thinking about earlier the last time that they ran their scam when it takes him like three shots to shoot the rope out. And he yep. says something about like, you know, I eventually I might miss or something. And it's like, oh, he's you talking know, about the, he like, did money. that on purpose. <laughs> and he says, if, uh, if, you know, if I don't make like I'm the one who does the shooting, and you know, if I don't get my money, I might uh, my aim might start to slack, mm -hmm. something along those lines. Um, yeah, one thing I actually recently saw when I was doing a little bit of research about this film, though, that I do want to mention is uh, the producer of this film actually recently passed away, unfortunately. Um, but. Alberto Grimaldi was a fantastic film producer who was responsible for this trilogy, as well as Gangs of New York, I believe. Really? Uh, recently passed away. And I actually did not pick this film knowing this, but uh, huh. I'd actually kind of like to, you know, dedicate this film to to him and to all of his, like, fantastic works, like The Canterbury Tales and Fistful of Dollars, Few Dollars More, Gangs of New York. Just all fantastic films. That's a hell of a resume. Yeah. Well, <laughs> last tango in Paris. Um, yeah. There you go. But yeah, we can cut that in wherever. I just, I just, I almost completely forgot about that. I wanted to mention it before I forgot. Well, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Joe Cuts. But wait, we had to do recommendations. Sorry. Come back to come back to that. <laughs> uh, recommendations Park. Let's, which let's you wind it back. Uh, would you recommend uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that it's available right now for free on YouTube with ads. Uh, you can use an ad blocker probably to block them. Um, but I definitely recommend this movie. You should watch it. You do need to set aside a good bit of time for it. It is like ju like just shy, like I think two minutes shy of three hours. Um, but it's killer. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, I do think if you don't 
generally enjoy westerns as a genre this is not going to be the one that breaks the mold for you uh but if you do enjoy them or if you just enjoy some of them but maybe not all of them you will you will almost definitely like the good the bad and the ugly is a great movie it's classic for a reason i mean the the kind of epitome of the clint eastwood era it's it's what this tombstone hang them high right you've probably already seen them so watch it again and enjoy it because it's a cool movie uh, so now, really, thank you for watching. We appreciate it as always. You can find us on Twitter at JumpCutsPod, Instagram at JumpCutsPod, uh, TikTok at JumpCutsPod, our website JumpCutsPod.com, where we upload every episode. Uh, Will's plug, since he is not here, you can find Will on Twitter at WillPostWords, and he has a YouTube channel, Will Johnston, on YouTube where he makes videos about movies and TV shows and they're really good and you should watch them. Uh, Park plugs. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at summer hour underscore brewing. And you can find me on Twitter at Charlie B post. You can find me on Instagram at Charlie B dot rights. Uh, that's everything. Thanks for listening. New episodes every Thursday. Will's pick next time. Don't know what we're doing, but uh, yeah, we'll see you then. So long. Happy Trails. There we are. Happy Trails. That's a good Western thing. That is very Western. Happy Trails. Happy Trails. That just makes me think of stomach hair. Think of what? I'm going to hit stop. <laughs> <laughs>